So we are bringing our discipleship as a journey of grace to conclusion, uh, a series. That is what's being brought to conclusion is the series. Uh, hopefully, this is not the end. It's just the beginning. Or we've totally missed the point of what this sermon series has all been about. It's been a catalyst for us as discipleship as this journey of grace. And so the reality is that it just begins today, really. It's not the end. It should be the beginning of us following Christ. Um, that video that we saw, really, that video was about fighting for the limelight, Two young men, very talented young men. Makes you want to become a drummer, doesn't it? <laughs> In some ways. Um, but, but two very talented young men. Rallying for that limelight. Rallying for that center stage. Wanting to be at the center. And so why I brought that up is to set the tone for what is actually happening in the scripture that Paula read for us. This passage from Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11. If you don't really understand the context of what was happening in Philippi, you don't really get the most that you can get out of this passage. Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11. A very, very familiar passage that we've heard. If you've been in the church any length of time, you've heard it multiple times. And, and even Pastor Mike, he prayed for me this morning and he said, You know, Lord, this has been preached in so many different ways. And, and pray that somehow we would glean from this in a new and a fresh way what God is saying to us. But basically to understand the background in the church in Philippi, there was divisiveness, there was uh, disunity, there was this fighting for who was most important, fighting for the limelight, fighting for center stage. A lot of this is going on, and so if you don't understand that, you don't understand what Paul is saying then, when you get into chapter 2. We realize that this has been an ongoing plague in the church. It's gone on for, since the beginning of the church. We know that many oftentimes Paul writes about these issues in the church. That disunity can happen. That divisiveness can happen. And, and, and so we see that some, some of the uh, causes of disunity in the church, which are always a threat, is selfish ambition. If selfish ambition gets into a church, it can destroy a church. That is when it's the ego. It's about me and my needs, my wishes, my likes, my wants. God help us. Has anyone ever thought that our church right now, we're a little around 100, a bit less. When COVID wasn't around, we were about the 135, 140. Uh, if everybody came every Sunday, we'd probably hit the 200. <laughs> Imagine if everybody in the church had selfish ambition. Where would we be? 200 people, 50 people, 100 people, all wanting things to go my way. The way I think it should be. The way I think things should go. This causes, my friends, divisiveness. Personal prestige. We've seen it happen over the years. People who continually look for a title, look for a position in the church, want the platform, even want the pulpit. It's happened. The concentration on oneself, so much so on oneself that competition begins to start. And we see ourselves as competing with each other's families competing with each other's. And, and, and there is this idea, you know, that now that, that brother or sister in Christ becomes the enemy or that 
family becomes the enemy or that faction becomes the enemy. We know who the enemy is. It's not our brothers and sisters in Christ. They're never meant to be the enemy. <laughs> and so we see that this is this background to when we come into this beautiful, oh, amazing passage in the letter to Philippi. Paul says, what's the cure to all that? All that that is a danger for any church at any time. What is the cure? He says in verses 1 to 4, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. See, Paul starts off with this argument, we are one. If we are in Christ, we are one. Because we're one in Christ. And so he said this, we've heard it often in Ephesians, haven't we? Chapter 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called into one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are one. See, there is something that Paul is saying here. You cannot say, I am one with the Father. I am one with Jesus. Oh, the Holy Spirit, I'm one with him. I'm one, but I am not getting along with so-and-so. Paul says there's no such thing. Because we are now one in him. So if we are one in him, we come under him and we work together. He goes on to say... We are one in his love. So if God's love has been poured out in our hearts, and we've talked about that, agape love, God's love, unconditional love, is not love of the flesh that we can naturally have. It comes from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That if we are one in his love, we will love each other. And then he says, if we have the same spirit... See, we talked about the fact that at saving grace, you receive the Spirit. We talked about at sanctifying grace, that the Holy Spirit comes in to change you and transform you like Jesus. And we talked about that second blessing of being filled with the Holy Spirit. That we no longer don't have, we're powerless, but we have this power to live a godly life, pleasing to God. So he's saying, if you have this Holy Spirit, how could you be at odds with a brother or sister in Christ. The Spirit works towards unity. Keep the unity of the believers at all costs. The Spirit is always drawing and bringing and living in unity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit lives in unity. And we're now welcomed into the triune Godhead as his children. And so therefore we walk in unity with people. So Paul is saying, you can't tell me that you're filled with the Holy Spirit if you're walking in disunity with a brother or sister in Christ. It just doesn't fit. It just through the mathematical equation. You, you, you can't say you're filled with the Spirit when the Spirit works towards unity and you're not living in unity. 
And so he moves from this threat that's happening to the church and causing them to look at where is the example for all of us? Jesus. The example for all of us is Jesus. If we want to follow him in this uh, discipleship of, as a journey of grace, it is Jesus we look to for the example of how we are to live. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So he challenges us to now release our minds, our thinking, our what we meditate on to the power of the Holy Spirit to give us that mind that was in Christ Jesus to follow his example. You know, a lot has changed. <clears throat> I think of those, I think of someone like Lulu who, uh, who lived over a hundred years. I think of those in their 90s and 80s and all the changes that you have seen in your lifetime. I mean, we could sit and spend a day talking about the changes, the changes that have happened since the 50s and 1960s, the changes that have happened in the last 20 years. You know, it seems like life is full of change. And then we're in the middle of a pandemic. And we're just told that everything is changing, and you are in control of absolutely nothing. Literally. You can't control anything. And so we're in this flux, but think about Paul, and think about Jesus, but think about Paul in particular here, <clears throat> as he's speaking to the early church, who are facing persecution, who are going through what we call the dysphoria, which means they were... They were, on, they were refugees. They were fleeing for their lives. They're just, and that's why the church spread. God took that, and that's how pockets of the church spread, because they didn't all get the message to go and make disciples. So God just helped them out a bit. And they were spread out all over the Roman Empire. And so you can imagine the confusion. You can imagine everything that is going on. And, and, and so if we looked at that, we would say, what, what, are, what are we to do in this, this confusing time and uncharted waters? What is it that's going to see us through? There are a lot of people predicting uh, failure for the church after COVID. I don't know if you've read those articles or seen those posts. I want to tell you, my friends, the Church of Jesus Christ will be fine. Amen. And the Church of Jesus Christ is going to triumph on. Because you know what the one constant is? Jesus. Jesus is the one constant. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the church will triumph on because of Jesus and that he is our one constant. He is to be our foundation. And so the word that Paul uses here is morph. He, he kind of brings up this fact that Jesus, as we've been talking about, is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the very nature of God. He is the essence of God. He is the form of God. Now, now we could say, well, Pastor, there's been some changes there because Jesus 
came and he was born as a baby. We know he grew up to become a man. And that man was crucified and nailed to a cruel cross, fully man, fully God. And then he went down into that dark grave and he resurrected at the other side. And yet his body was changed and glorified. And then he returned to the Father where he now is, right there, as Pastor Sheila preached about the ascension a while back. So we see those changes, right? But Paul is using a particular word here. He's, the emphasis is his essence never changed. His nature never changed. He was fully God, divine. And so that is that constant. So even in the changes of life, I mean, I'm like Italian today, there with my hands going all over the place. But even in that change of life that we're going through, there's a constant, and his name is Jesus. There's a constant that's going to get the church through anything we face. And the truth of it is today, there is a constant that will get you through anything and everything. If you keep him at the center. We sing about it, don't we? <laughs> Jesus, be the center of it all. And so we see that Jesus had this humble desire to serve. He had this wonderful desire to serve. I love that statement. Jesus had a humble, selfless desire to serve. So Paul is saying all this stuff that's going on in the church in Philippi, you're one, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you got God's love. Now look at Christ's example. And as you look at Christ's example, humbly, he was, had a selfless desire to serve. And Paul says, have the same mind as Christ. Jesus is the one who will help us through turbulent times. And then Paul says, look at the example of Jesus. He emptied himself. He emptied himself, and, and a lot of people, there's a lot of uh, argument in here that he emptied himself of his divinity. He did not empty himself of his divinity, but he emptied himself of the privileges of his divinity. He pushed them aside. The actual word that he uses is like if you had a pitcher of water, and you poured it out. And you had it upside down, and you wanted to get every drop of water. That is what Jesus has done for you and for me. He pushed aside his divinity. He poured out himself. God the Father sent the Son for you and for me. That God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit decided from the beginning of creation that he would send forth the Son. The Son would leave his heavenly realm and come to earth for us. That's what Paul is saying here. That's how much God loves you today. The divine plan of God to become man, to go all the way to the cross... God in Christ Jesus was reconciling the whole world to himself. And so if God is going that far to reach out to humanity, can't we put our arms around our brother and sister in Christ? Mm -hmm. Now, after COVID. So you see his point, what he's making, that this is the example of Christ. This is what we call the incarnation, that Christ emptied himself. And let's realize it was the plan of God. Together they decided to send him forth. God reaching out to us through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
That's why we said the goal of discipleship is to be like Jesus. That's what this passage is all about. That, that if you are in Christ, it is to be like Jesus. That is my one desire. My goal in life is to be like Jesus. And praise God, I could have been like Jesus yesterday, but today I say it often, I can be more like Jesus today. It's not something we ever arrive to, that, oh, I've, I've got enough of Jesus now. <laughs> we always need him daily. We need more and more. And to follow Jesus is to become like him. And so, unlike this divisiveness that was going on in the church, if we want to look at the characteristics of Jesus, we see he was humble. We see humility. He didn't desire to dominate. He desired to serve. He was obedient, we're told. He was obedient to the Father. So obedient to the Father that he was willing that he came to die for us and not just die, but die the most terrible death possible. He was willing to be obedient to the Father to die on the cross for you and me. That's how obedient he was to the Father. When we look at his characteristic, uh, he, was, he was able and willing to self, uh, so we see self-renunciation. He put aside his own privileges. He put aside his own issues and issues and wants. He renounced himself, is basically what it's saying. He renounced himself that he might serve others. That's when Christ says, take up your cross and follow me. That's when we crucify the flesh. We're renouncing ourselves as Jesus did. And here's the beautiful part of our passage today. What our whole service has been talking about today. Therefore, Jesus is now exalted. Verses 9 to 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to, glory, to the glory of God the Father. The only way there will ever be unity in the church of Jesus is when we get our eyes off ourselves, get our eyes off each other, get our eyes onto Jesus. We've talked about it over the years. There's nothing new. That message, you've heard it from the church. I'm sure you have. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Look to Jesus. Not look at yourself or look at brothers and sisters in Christ, what they're doing, what they're not doing. Focus in on Jesus. That's what Paul is saying here to the church in Philippi. Look to Jesus. His sacrificial love. He is the Lord. That's why unity is even possible. He is the King. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. And God has given him the name above every name. The name of Lord. Do you know this is one of the earliest creeds of the church when they want to study the early church? They go to this passage in Philippians 2. This is a creedal statement. They believe that the early church was nailing down their beliefs here and was sharing this creed. That Jesus Christ indeed is Lord. Every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul said it to the church in Rome. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart 
that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's that creedal statement that the early church pronounced, and the church must and must continue, even in turbulent times, to continue to say, he is Lord. <clears throat> this word, Lord, was used a lot in Paul's day. It was used for master. If you were a slave and you had a master, that was how they used the term, Lord. It was a title that was given to the emperors, the Roman emperors in their day. They were given this title, Lord. It was the title that were given to the pluralistic gods, Lord. Actually, when they took the Hebrew Bible and they were translating it into the Greek Bible, they were looking for a word for Jehovah, and this is the word that they used, kurios. They used kurios to say that God, the Jehovah in Greek, is Lord. And so it was used for that reason. In this moment, the church is saying, the emperor isn't Lord. All your gods aren't lords. Jesus Christ is Lord. That was a dangerous statement. That got you nailed to a cross like him. That was something that was said that caused things to shake in Jesus' day because they had seen other people called Lord, but they had never thought that he was the Lord. And so the church began to proclaim it. And we continue to proclaim it. It says that he is the Almighty One, God. He is superior to anyone in this church. He has all authority. He has authority over our lives. Does he? So proclaiming Jesus is my Lord is saying he's my master. He's my owner. He owns everything. All that I have. All that I've had in the past. All that I ever will be. He is owner of all. He's my master. He's my Lord. It is proclaiming that he is not just a king, but he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. <clears throat> it is saying that he is the God, the king, not bowing down to other idols or other gods. When I pronounce that Jesus Christ is Lord, and I am saying that he is fully God, he is divine, he is worthy of my worship, my life, and everything. And my discipleship. Then they say one day, one day Paul says to the church in Philippi, this should bring the church in line if anything does. One day every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day it's going to happen. He says one day the heavens will shout it, the earth will know it, and even hell will be shouting it and on their knees when that day comes. He says under the earth. What's he talking about? There is coming a day when all of humanity that is living in that moment will fall to their knees and confess that he is Lord. This is the challenge. You don't want to do it that way. <laughs> you don't want to be forced into it because of how wonderful and majestic he is when he comes on that great day. You want to take the opportunity now to bow at his feet and pronounce he is Lord. That's why Paul is telling the church, get your eyes off what's going on and who's doing 
and bow before him because there's going to come a day, a reckoning, when we all will bow. So it's better to get it right now and take the opportunity to confess him as Lord, believe in your heart, and then you have nothing to worry about. I love the fact that he is Lord. We sang about it. See, instead of fighting as that drum band did at the beginning for center stage, for the limelight, Paul is saying, have a single mind, my friends. Focus on Jesus. Focus on God's kingdom. Focus on the fact that he is returning. And keep your eyes on Jesus. And God has given his grace to help us. We looked at that over the weeks. Provenient grace that comes before and moves us to God. Saving grace, sanctifying grace, sustaining grace, and sufficient grace. But you know, it's not enough just to sing, He is Lord, He is Lord. That's lip service. It's a great song. We often, many of us, we remember wonderful things from that song. Nothing wrong with that. But He is Lord is a statement of allegiance. Just like a Roman soldier, before he would uh, go out, he would have to pledge allegiance to the emperor. He would have to say, no matter what, I will stand my post. We talked about that with the centurions. That was his job, to stand his post with his hundred men and die on the, post, uh, on the spot if need be. A Roman soldier would pledge his allegiance to the emperor before he would go out to battle. And saying Christ is Lord for us is a pledge of allegiance to Jesus. We are saying that he is our Lord. We are nailing our colors to the mass. And we are saying this is who I belong to. This is who he is. The truth of it is when you went through the waters of baptism, what do you think you were doing? You were pledging allegiance to Jesus Christ as Lord. You were dying with him and coming alive, alive, alive in him. What do you think the Lord's Supper is every time we come together and we take of his body and that representing his blood? It is that renewing of our pledge of allegiance to Jesus Christ. That is the power of saying that Christ is Lord. He is my Lord. He has that position in my life. I was thinking, as I bring this to a close, of this game we used to play in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland. Can, you know, we used to do this game called Can. And, and I don't know if you guys ever did it here, dirt roads. We had to have a mound of dirt, and you would put a can up on the top of it, and, and you'd go play hide and seek, and then you would try to sneak up when they weren't looking and kick the can. And that was how they knew that you won because you got back up there while the person was looking for everybody, you ran up to the hill and kicked the can. But you know what we would say when we got up on that top of that hill and kicked the can? I'm the king of the castle. And you're the dirty rascal. And you're the dirty rascals. <laughs> oh, we all wanted that position. We all wanted to be up on top and be the king of the castle. Right? That was the big, the big hope of the night. That one time, one opportunity, you'd get up there and you'd be the king of the castle. Life is telling you that's what life is all about. The world will tell you that's what it's all about. Push others aside. Make your way. Get up to the top. 
Doesn't matter if you walk over people, how you treat people, just get to the top. And if we're not careful, the church can pick up a worldly mindset. If we want to be honest, let's be honest. Paul is saying, no, no, my friends. Not so. God's ways are not the world's ways. God's ways are completely different. God does not work in that way. He came. God sent his son to come. And though he could have made us all bow down at that moment, he chose instead to serve. That's what the foot washing is so powerful on that night before going to the cross. He was called to serve and he demonstrates his love for them, it says in scripture, as he washes the feet of sinful men. God Almighty at the feet of sinful men. How much more are we to follow Christ's example? How much more are we to confess with our mouths, with our lives, with our allegiance? Christ is Lord. Lord of lords and King of kings. I said today that Jesus is that one constant. And what will help the church over all these 2,000 years and all the troubles that we face and all the difficulties that we face? And, and just trying to demonstrate, I did this many years ago, and I, I feel it's just trying to get the message across. I don't know if you guys can see at the back, but we've just got different cups and glasses here. And, and, and the point is Christ, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is that one constant. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he said, I am the living water, didn't he? He said that. He is water. He, he refreshes the soul. And so he is the one constant. And so it doesn't matter what the containers are. The importance is that the same constant, Jesus Christ is Lord, is poured into it. Because that's what it's about. It's about him in the cup. It's not about the cup. What do we argue about in the church? What cup? What's it supposed to look like? What songs are we supposed to sing? What are we supposed to do in church? Maybe... Maybe we're, this could even be different people. Not just different times of history. But, but we can argue about what's the right way and what's it supposed to look like. These are just containers. They're here today and gone tomorrow. They're not worth fighting over. Because there'll be more changes in the years to come until the Lord tears and comes. And this is what we keep our eyes focused on. This is what causes divisions in the church. This is what causes factions and disunity. We're arguing about the containers. When what is supposed to be is about Christ is Lord. And it's his desire. No matter what time in history, no matter what you look like, where you've been, or what you've done, Christ wants to come and fill you with his presence. That's the one constant. That is what's going to get us through in the days ahead. That is what's going to help us in this journey of discipleship. And praise God, I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Praise God for his amazing grace that he gives us to help us in our weaknesses, to help us in this journey, to keep Christ as Lord in our lives. I love this statement at the end of this whole series. Christians are born, disciples are made, 
Christ-likeness is our destiny. Grace guides the journey. Read it with me. Let's say it together. Christians are born. Disciples are made. Christ-likeness is our destiny. Grace guides the journey. The last challenge before we end this service today. We're going to sing this song. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? And we'll say, hopefully, prayerfully, we'll say it with meaning and conviction. He is. He is. He is. I want to challenge you today. Are you willing to bow the knee before his kingship and his lordship today? Are you willing to say, I pledge allegiance to the land? <laughs> As that great Ray Bull song does. Maybe it's time to renew your allegiance. Maybe, just maybe, some of us haven't been getting along with somebody in the church. I haven't heard of anything, but I'm just bringing that up. I believe you need to bow the knee and pronounce once again Christ is Lord and get your eyes off that situation and pray for your brother or sister that they'll get their eyes on the Lord and off that situation. And God, Paul says that is the solution if that's an issue for you today. It is so important for us to keep Short accounts with God. It's so important. We always say don't go to bed with anger. We always use that as a marriage help, right? For young couples that are getting married. You know, don't go to bed at night with anger. I want to say to you, don't go to bed at night with unforgiveness in your heart. With anger. Frustration. When Christ is Lord, he has paid the price. He has emptied himself completely for you. That you can know him and experience him and receive his grace. And you don't need to be bogged down in all of this stuff when we get our eyes on the containers, forgetting about the constant, the source, the giver of life. Won't you stand? Lord, I pray today as we sing this closing song that if people need to do business with you, Lord, just simply bowing the knee now, not waiting until that day to bow the knee. But willing to bow the knee today and bow it maybe anew and afresh or maybe just wanting to make that known to everybody in the church and those around me. Jesus Christ is my Lord. And I pledge allegiance to him. And he is worthy of my worship and my praise. What do we do before a king? We bow. What do we do before the Lord of Lords? We bow. And God, I pray that you would help us to bow yes. as the Elmsdale Church of the Nazarene this day that you've given us. And together, we will confess that you are indeed. Oh.